Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Christian History and Ideas. I'm joined today, I believe, on this episode 23. I, so. I do believe, um, with Dr. Nirmal Das. Uh, we may be in confusion as to the number, but I'm not in confusion as to whom I'm with. So how are you doing, Dr. Das? Very good, John. Great to be here on this snowy day. Yes, yes. Dr. Das and I are looking mighty, mighty good in physical shape uh, with all the <laughs> snow we're doing in Canada. All and, that tumbling and, and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, coming down. It's it's weird how those things go in cycles, the um, light, light um, winters and then a heavy winter. Exactly, yes. Exactly. Of course, you're in Canada, so I don't know if you have that phenomenon. <laughs> we always get the heavy part. We always get the heavy part. <laughs> That's it. All right. So what we're getting into today is a topic which we've been kicking around in, in private conversation for a number of months. And I think a lot of us for a number of years have been kicking around this topic, which is the state of the church, the... Um, errors which have led to the moment, and then what will uh, consume us really in not this episode, not the next, but down the pike some, where things are going in, in a meta picture. And of course, the old saying here in America is if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. And uh, I'm sure our, our, our pronostications will have many hangnails, uh, you know, looking back two or 300 years, but we'll give it the best we can. And um, where do you see this uh, little series going, maybe, uh, Dr. Doss, for your, your part in the next couple episodes? Basically, what I'm thinking about um, is that... Um, we always seem to be in crisis mode as far as the church goes um, and our faith goes. Um, and we're always in this crisis mode and somehow we're always being asked to manage the crisis. I think this is the key um, takeaway from modern uh, Christianity, modern practice of our faith, is that we don't know how to contend with this crisis mode that we are put into by various forces. Um, and this has led to all kinds of confusion, uh, all kinds of infighting, um, <clears throat> etc. Uh, basically, it's a very strong negative energy, this idea of confronting the crisis. So the church is in crisis. Our faith is in crisis. Our civilization is in crisis. Um, and this mode of thought, I think, is the key here to what we want to discuss. And then we can get into you know, the various aspects that this kind of um, mindset triggers. <clears throat> excellent, excellent. And you will hear things in the episode here and going forward in terms of critique that you won't hear elsewhere. Uh, there are insights, at least that in my um, perusal of the uh, commentariat <laughs> online and in print, uh, I have I've not yet heard brought up or brought up to their logical conclusion. So uh, before we jibber-jabber on too much, let's get a bit from the Bible here, uh, appropriate to our theme. And that is from Acts chapter 15, verses 6 through 11. And we begin here. The apostles and the presbyters met together to see about this matter. After much debate had taken place, a Peter got up and said to them, My brothers, you are well aware from the early days 
God made this choice among you that through my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness by granting them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us. He made no distinction between them and us, for by faith he purified their hearts. Why then are you now putting God to the test by placing on the shoulders of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we were ever able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they. So, excellent. To autum domine miserere nobis, as we say in the office. So, there we go. We got our holy rolling on. We got off onto a good a good start there. So we did. <laughs> all right. Now, now we can uh, go back and forth about the state of the church. And I, I suppose we're going to do a lot of defining of, of terms. So for my, uh, where I'm coming from, and I'd like your response, Dr. Doss. Um, generally, uh, when we say the church, we, um, I mean the Catholic church, or at least that ethos and the claims of the church um, coming out of that vein, though we uh, don't limit the grace of God uh, simply to that uh, organization. Um, where do you come from that uh, angle in terms of as we define the church? Uh, yes, first of all, there's two aspects of it, I guess. <clears throat> there's the institutional, um, and of course with that uh, comes the entire uh, process of the sacraments and so forth. Um, secondly, I think there's the mystical elements to the church which is the church as the body of Christ. And I think what we need to always keep in mind is that we should not be engaged in separating the two. And this has been the Protestant heresy, for lack of a better term, is that it has always engaged in this separation. And this, ex this is best expressed in that term, the separation of uh, church and state. Um, and this process of separation, <clears throat> of compartmentalizing, what belongs to God, what belongs to the world, therefore what belongs to us, has been uh, the process in which um, the visible church and the invisible church have both uh, been um, contending uh, in, the, in, the, in the mind of the faithful. Um, so the faithful, um, there's a confusion, first of all, as I mentioned earlier, but that confusion is further um, elaborated by this ongoing debate of what the body of Christ is. Um, and unfortunately, um, this has never been clarified by those that engage in this debate. There's always this assumption that if you use the word church, people will immediately know what this is. Um, and uh, for most people, it's the building down the road that they go to on you know, Sundays, etc. Um, and that I think is the problem here, is that we have um, let loose various um, aspects of tradition that very clearly defined what all this was, uh, but now has veered into all kinds of um, problem areas. And, you know, we'll get into that as to why that is, because I want to do my little rant about modernism. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but I think that's the, the root of it, that confusion between um, the church visible and the invisible, first and foremost. Excellent. Good. So we have a working definition there, and I'm sure we can finesse that um, if needs be as, as time uh, tromps along. So 
with that, uh, we will um, bring up a um, leet motif <laughs> of, of the condition of things. Uh, we will get to the part where we'll we will first have to define our, our the word we're going to use, whether it's traditional or conservative or orthodox Christian. But uh, that that remains to be done. Uh, this this will be um, analyzing what should we call it, Nirmal, um, or do we call it? I guess we can have that discussion before we jump into our, our look at Ash Wednesday. Well, no, let's save it. Let's get into the, the thing. I'll let you think. Um, do we call it the institutional church, the structural church, the Novus Ordo? Um, we need uh, working definitions. So uh, that's that's your homework and mine as I read this. We can multitask. I can multitask, and, and uh, so can you, and so can the viewers. So, all right. So this is an article that I will momentarily bring up on the screen share once I get the right tab. Ah, yes. Uh, creative ideas for COVID-19 Ash Wednesday. So, All right. The beginning of Lent 2021 is weeks away. And raising questions about how to approach Ash Wednesday during a pandemic. What will the day look like? Will church be open? Will there be an imposition of ashes? Will the imposition of ashes be safe? Will there be restrictions? Will the vaccine be available in time? Now, this article was written in uh, mid-January. Online services are planned and creative suggestions about ashes have surfaced, many involving Ziploc bags, plastic containers, a long stick, and lots of gloves. Some people, some ideas, include leaving ashes for people in church, sending packets of ashes home, having packets available for congregants to pick up, and forgoing ashes completely. Quote, and I think you get the point after this quote altogether. You see where this is going. We can get back to our, our talk. Quote, for years I've been advocating the idea of people signing themselves with ashes to indicate their willingness uh, and commitment to enter into the disciplines of Lent, rather than having them, quote-unquote, imposed, unquote, overall, said Reverend John Carson, St. David's, uh, Cranberry, New Jersey. I've actually been to Cranberry, New Jersey. I believe that's where M&Ms uh, were started. Quote, we are considering making available little packets of ashes that can be distributed along with a prayer card with an appropriate statement of the intention for the season. I'm also considering distributing a sticker in the form <laughs> the form of an ash cross that can be put in a prominent place such as a mirror or a computer screen all right uh to autumn domine me saturday no peace so all right um uh very good so we have we have an image there of um yeah, I think a materialistic or, uh, well, we can, we can apply adjectives, but before we do that, Dr. Doss, um, how do we define what we just read about in terms of, do we speak of no resorto, structural church, or do we make the distinction, do you, do you caution against making the distinction at all, and if we do, how do we account for the, the doctrines, the councils, the teachings, and then the present, um, Zeitgeist. Uh, there would appear to be a, 
cams or something. So maybe we should handle that and then we can double back to our, our stickers. Good. Um, yes, I would, I would be really careful with making fine distinctions uh, between orthodox tradition, uh, orthodox and traditional. I will leave out conservative because it's a political term and we can get to that later because that has been the other problem with, uh, with churchiness, um, so to speak is that there's a lot of political language being used um, in the church. Um, and that's a separate issue we can get into later. Uh, so I would not advise conservative as part of being Christian. Um, uh, you know, I would not mash the two together uh, because two of them, both of them I think have separate allegiances and they can be in conflict. Um, so aside from that, I think <clears throat> what we are left with um, is um, this idea of um, the institution itself. Uh, whatever else we can uh, use in that context is good. So I would caution against a lot of elaboration of um, fine distinction, because what it does is that it causes more confusion. Um, and this is part of, this is the modernity, this is the uh, modern uh, uh, turn, as they say. This is the modern state of mind, which is always looking for finer points of definition, which then lead to all kinds of uh, micro-interpretations. And then these micro-interpretations become causes of, well, for lack of a better term, heresy and sin. Um, and this has led to a lot of problems in the world. I mean, we can get into that uh, a little later. So I would caution, I would caution against a very fine de definition. I would, I would be happy with the traditional one, um, you know, uh, the church visible and invisible, um, you know, the church that is, um, you know, uh, the church militant and et cetera, et cetera. These terms are good um, because they have uh, stood the test of time. They've served the faith well, and they have furthered um, um, dedication to God. And I think the more we encourage that sort of um, approach, I think the better off we will be. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I will have... Um... A response to that, not not to gainsay by any means, um, but um, uh, whatnot. Uh, when we return to to um, that the 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 church militant or the uh, the critique, uh, if you'll excuse me, the critique of the conservative world or of that. So, um, and I'll, I'll bring up my. Uh, though you bring up mighty cautions and you bring up some some tremendous cautions from history about um, arguing over uh, even consonants causing uh, unbelievably large schisms and whatnot, but we can revisit that later. And and um, uh, let's turn our attention indeed to stickers and Q-tips and uh, what we might see down down the church on the corner there. So. Um, this, of course, this uh, zeitgeist, uh, regardless of the adjective applied, is, I would say, from my my um, access to the churches around here, and this this, in fact, this is very ecumenical. This type of um, uh, mediocrity, I would say, is is uh, seems to be the, the predominant, um, uh, indeed, zeitgeist for for all of the churches, Catholic, Protestant, and Orthodox around here. There's a a spirit of the world, just from that story, if I can give my response to it and, and then see what you have to say about, this is just a leap motif, it's just a, a microcosm of what we see. Um, you know, no sense of the sacred in the liturgy, 
um, <laughs> you know, Zippo lighters to, to light the candles on the altar, um, whatever, sne sneakers, the priest wearing sneakers, um, uh, and so forth. I, we don't need to, to do the merry-go-round of all of the, the liturgical um, stuff. But uh, you, you can see, I think, what we, what a lot of us, of whatever adjective or, or a flattering adjective we apply to ourselves, up until COVID-19, I think we were really like the, the drunk uncle in the back room, you know, he'll come around, he's gonna, he's gonna shape up, he's not that far gone, and and uh, we were kind of telling ourselves this and, you know, excusing things and, and whatnot and the materialism of the church. And I don't just mean, you know, the laundry list of priests stealing things and having cars and condos and wives and things on the side of which that could be, you know, a whole series, which other people do. Um, but the, the materialism of Ash Wednesday, which is a clearly spiritual uh, ceremony, with a physical dimension, right? With a physical dimension. And <laughs> somehow modernity has taken this and actually um, mutilated both the spirituality of Ash Wednesday and the physicality of Ash Wednesday. And we can go on and on, but I think um, that's, that's where I'm at at this moment that um, the situation as it is can't uh, continue and... Um, it's it's clearly going the way of the world, and I know I'm I'm long in the tooth in that traditional Catholic world in in days gone by. It was 15 years, 16 years in that thing, so I'm well aware of the critique and in, in that way. So people are saying I've been talking about this for 50 years, son, um, taking a drag on the cigarette. But um, there was always that hope, you know, the 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 uh, church visible will come around, and I don't have that hope at least in the Western world, in the churches I see. I'm, I know it's different Africa and Asia, so there's not an overall uh, despair <laughs> by any means, but it is in terms of lived reality. I throw it back to you, Dr. Dawson. Uh, great points, John. What I would suggest is that um, what we're really contending with is this problem with modernism or the problem of modernism, I should say. Um, and I think that needs to be defined we use a lot of terms in our popular um, culture and in our popular discourse. And often we don't, I think, understand these terms and their implications. Um, you know, just an example, people use, you know, communism and socialism and Nazi and all these terms all the time. Um, but no one seems to understand what these are. I mean, they're, they're great terms as put downs. You know, you hate the person, so you call him a Nazi or a socialist or a communist or something. But the point is, um, the same kind of mindset has also pervade, also pervades the world or invaded the world. Um, but so let's look at what modernism is. And this takes us to the heart of the issue, which is Vatican II and all that sort of thing, um, which we can, you know, uh, uh, look at in a minute if you want. Uh, but what is modernism? How do you define it? First and foremost, it's a philosophical term. Um, and in philosophy, modernism is very simply defined as rupture. Um, and rupture means a very specific thing, of course, which is a complete break from the past. Um, and it's interesting, etymologically, the word rupture um, is, correct, uh, is connected to the word corrupt. 
Um, and so when you initiate or um, participate in modernism, you must always be involved in rupture, and therefore you will always be in engaged in some form of corruption of the process of what it was. So this idea of breaking from the past is a very attractive one. In a way, it is the, um, uh, you know, the soul and the spirit of our age is we're always coming up with ways of getting rid of the evil past, of the bad past, and now we have to correct it in the present. Um, that is our liturgy, by the way. That's our secular liturgy uh, that we are always engaged in. And that secular liturgy has invaded sacred liturgy, unfortunately. And then now the sacred liturgy must behave according to the dictates of the modern uh, world, i.e. modern as I've described it as rupture. Um, so this process of rupture is what we're really contending with here. Those of us who want to adhere to our faith deny this rupture, that perfection uh, happened you know, within, um, you know, within Christ uh, and within the process of our faith, and that uh, perfection cannot be gainsaid, it cannot be denied, it cannot be broken away from. And if we try to break away from it by using that logic of modernism, that anything in the past is bad, we come into the process of corruption. So we're talking about a, two, a threefold, uh, threefold or twofold process. Um, and that is um, of us accepting modernism, its basic tenets, saying, yeah, yeah, it's right. We're, we know, we agree with that. The past was pretty bad. Secondly, what are you going to do about it? Well, um, you know, let's do this. Let's do social justice. Let's do this. Let's do that. I.e., the church becomes engaged in this process. And secondly, through this process, it's a corrupting process, you end up being corrupt. Um, and um, this, uh, unfortunately, this is not something that is particular to one denomination of the Christian body, you know, the larger, whatever, the baptized, I should say. Uh, let's to make it simpler, um, because I don't want to impugn, you know, uh, Catholics or Protestants and all. It's all together. Uh, this is the entire of the West, entirety of the West, um, and because it is engaged in this process of continual rupture, um, of continual break from the past, and everything needs to justify that rupture. We are therefore automatically engaged in corruption. So what we're describing the Ziploc bags and the magic marker and the 10 foot poles for <laughs> imposing the ashes, etc., cetera, um, is the process of rupture expressed <clears throat> in minute, in micromanagement form, you know? Um, how are we gonna micromanage rupture in, in the church? Uh, well, we can do it this way, um, which then leaves um, zero role for holiness. Um, so any kind of, um, holiness or mysticism or um, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the physical presence of Christ is denied continually because remember, we have to be engaged in rupture and Christ, of course, takes us away from rupture. You know, it doesn't break us from anything. He actually adds us to himself. Um, so we, you know, we have a very serious theological problem here to be very honest. Um, and that theological problem is one of, um, I don't know how to describe it, uh, whether it's heresy, whether it's sin, whether it's the devil doing its work, his work, I have no idea. But the problem is we're engaged in this rupture. And if the minute we start 
to back away from this, we will not no longer have these issues. Because if you think that imposing ashes is going to give people uh, COVID, then that means you do not believe in any kind of a mystical presence of holiness in the process. The sacraments are of any shape and form have zero holiness in them. It's all a physical connection through which disease can be passed. Um, it's the same thing with communion. Uh, can you get COVID from taking communion? Um, and most people will say yes. Um, and that, I think, is the denial. Uh, this is the, 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 the deep effect or the deep rot of modernism, is that we cannot understand any kind of holiness or mysticism where God himself is, is, pre is present. And if we believe in God, God is pure and holy. And if you think he's going to be corrupted by COVID, well, then we have a problem, uh, you know. Uh, and that, I think, is uh, the heart of it i.e. we must understand the root issue, which is modernism. Yes, to, to dovetail off of that, Dr. Das, um, as we go along, you know, there's uh, avoiding, well, avoiding adjectives and so forth. There is, there's a community out there who, you know, who thinks they have it figured out. They, they would agree, they'd be nodding, big old, big old, uh, big old uh, gorilla glue bobbleheads, right? They'd be nodding along the way. <laughs> Um, yes, yes, yes. It's the modernist. Is the modernist now? As far as my um, direction in, in these forthcoming episodes will go, I want to, I want to ad address certain things in that community, and exactly to what you're saying, it's it's that community, um, which, um, if you'll allow me, might be called conservative or traditional, is just as affected by mo modernism as the ash with the Q-tip. And uh, the COVID behind the screen and the communion on, you know, whatever. Um, They're the perfect example of modernism. I, yes. I don't go that far, but yes, they are the perfect example of modernism. Well, I'll say that. Uh, I'll, say, I'll spare you from saying it. Uh, the, the conservatives are the perfect example of modernists, of various stripes of flattering degrees. Maybe the traditional, the, 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 they're there, your, your digital photograph or your Polaroid, actually. Um, and I think to, uh, to to lay off of them and to give them a break, but the lot of us, the lot of all of us, um, I was thinking about this the other day, and it marries so nicely to your point. Um, I'd like to address the uh, the phenomena not of modernism, maybe we'll say um, intellectual or, or um, more more of an intellectual, but it, to, to buttress exactly that um, modernity, something actually really which which. Um, consumed our early shows about this time last year, the 19th century and, and so forth. And, you know, at, at uh, Apocastastasis, where I teach and, and where, where uh, you teach too <laughs> on a pension, and you'll be teaching a bit more, I, I should think, down the line. Um, uh, going through the Dante, we're always, we're always bringing up um, you know, scholasticism and grace builds on nature. Grace builds on nature. And that, just in terms of, of social organization, economics, familial structures, a, a political structure, political participation, um, and it really the, the, the story of, of uh, since the Enlightenment is l actually less agency for individuals in their life, less and less. Um, and so to you have this intellectual modernism which is affecting uh, well both the church visible and then also uh, the the church invisible the church pious the church praying the church militant the church traditional whatever 
Uh, it's this, it, the same rot is there in different ways, right? Your, your conservatives have less tattoos. They cost less. They, you know, their kids look really cute in little Sunday dresses and, and uh, you know, folded. Okay, but the, the rot's still there. And um, I think that's because uh, towards my point of uh, modernity itself, modernity itself is, it's, is disordered, just our, our daily living patterns, whether that's our connection to, to the outside natural phenomena, sleep cycles, light cycles, um, interpersonal things, which have been greatly damaged, um, certainly this, this past year with these restrictions, these lockdowns. And that, uh, that disruption of nature means that grace uh, has a harder time uh, taking taking hold there, and um, I believe that really at this hour when you scratch a Christian, you just get some like little bourgeois guy underneath. That's my conclusion after uh, observing things, and and you know they they might you know put on a flattering you know I'm I'm traditional, no I'm liberal. They might put on a flattering adjective over you scratch them. Um, they might be going to novenas next, you know, eight, eight ways to Sunday, you know, nine ways to Sunday. Uh, but you scratch them and there's just a, a modern Western uh, consumer there, capitalist. I don't know the term you want to use, but it, we're not as, unfortunately, um, we're not as different from the surrounding zeitgeist as we impress ourselves as being. And, uh, you know, we happen to be recording this in Lent and uh, like they say, an AA and NA and things like that, where you've got to hit the bottom first. And, and maybe as we look to where things are going, we have to just, I, I think this is a great opportunity, not just Lent, which is always a good opportunity, but this year where we've seen the, I mean, as far, it doesn't exist. What, what happened in, in my reading of things um, in the face of COVID-19 and what seems to be a, a manipulative agenda attached to whatever health uh, considerations need to be taken, clearly a manipulative agenda has, has taken over this thing. Um, the church, which, which ought to have been the, um, the pole, right? It, it should have been the other pole to pull against state overreach right? The best understanding of, of separation of church and state, not in the historical understanding of that. That was a total collapse. That should have been, that should have been the pole around which to, to socially pull away energies from state consolidation. And uh, with some um, uh, due credit given to a few Muslim congregations, a few um, uh, pious, uh, what do you call it, conservative Orthodox Jews, and then a f I, for as much grief as I give them, a few of these, you know, officially traditional Catholic uh, 501c3 groups, um, giving their due. I mean, there's, hats off, hats off to them for suing the states and whatever. But by and large, it was a total, a total collapse. And... Um, and, and that's because that rot of modernism, or as I'm saying, in, in just social dynamics of modernity, that's what's that shot through uh, the body of Christ. Exactly. Um, and if we look at this idea of the total collapse of uh, the church um, in the face of this um, 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 invasion of the COVID um, uh, virus, um, what we're also looking at is um, this idea of how deep the rot is and was, because a, a system, an institution, um, and here let's you know be sociological, anthropological. Um, you know, uh, a system 
cannot collapse um, unless it is rotten. Um, this is nature as well. A tree that is rotten will fall, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so when we're talking about COVID and the church's response and this, um, you know, the laughable idea of what to do with Ash Wednesday, i.e. the ashes on Ash Wednesday, which I found really, really telling actually. Um, <clears throat> notice it's a problem. <clears throat> Um, it's a problem that has to be micromanaged somehow. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is modernism. I mean, whatever shape you, political shape you want to be, as you mentioned, conservative, liberal, whatever. Uh, the problem is, oh, oh, COVID, oh, oh, ashes. Now what do we do? You know, uh, yeah, we got it. Well, let's figure something out. Okay, good. Uh, you know, stickers, uh, whatever. Um, and this, I think, is the problem here uh, because we are forever micromanaging the crisis. This is the point I brought out earlier. And micromanagement of crisis is the result of that concept of rupture, uh, which as uh, you know, you would, um, as you expressed it as modernity. So modernism is rupture. <clears throat> the acceptance and then the practice of rupture is modernity, i.e. that is the replacement, or actually I should say, that is the default faith system of us, of ours. Uh, we all behave and operate according to modernity. Like you said, you know, scratch a Christian and you will find, you know, uh, a modernist, uh, basically. Um, you know, I, let's not even go with the bourgeois and all this. Let's, let's be real, real, you know. <laughs> and that is that you will find a modernist um, who will somehow has figured out or who has figured out how to micromanage uh, the world uh, to his or her best way, uh, and to live within that micromanagement. Um, and within that micromanagement, of course, the default system of faith um, is always relegated to personal choice. And this is the other aspect of uh, corruption, of rupture, is that once you break away from any kind of authority, uh, especially moral authority, uh, you have to construct your own systems. Um, and that construction of independent interpretative systems of the world is the next problem and the next phase of corruption uh, that brings us all about. Um, and this, I think, is a problem that the church is basically totally inept at handling. Uh, this is my critique of the church. I.e. it is lost in so much um, rigmarole of, uh, of its own institutionalization uh, that it doesn't understand <clears throat> where it is now in the contemporary world, i.e. it assumes that just, you know, going through the motions, managing the building is going to be doing the job that needs to be done. But um, the church is not management of the building. You know, that is not what the church is all about. That is not the, what the faith is all about. Um, and I think this is the problem that we are now in, where the church has wholeheartedly accepted modernity, um, all of the premises of modernity. There are none that are questioned really by the church. Um, and therefore it is engaged in the corrupting and the corruptive process. I hate to be so mean about it, uh, but that is where we're at, i.e. we are all therefore, even at the level of our faith, are engaged in furthering the cause of modernity in all shapes and forms. Um, so 
why do we keep talking about, oh, the church has to be relevant, you know? Um, then we have the reaction to that, which is the church traditional or the, you know, um, the church uh, remnant or whatever, you know, uh, all those people that react against that notion. Um, both are engaged in the same process. Both are modernists. Both are um, obeying the, the default message of modernity, which is rupture, manage it. Here's the rupture, you gotta manage it. How are you gonna manage the rupture? Um, I.e., all of us accept this notion of rupture, of the break. And this is our mindset. We cannot think out, think outside of that. And that's the great tragedy of our age, by the way. This is why I always stress in our past discussions, medieval uh, Christianity, medieval uh, worldview, medieval uh, society, because that was the perfect management of reality of how to live, what to do, and how to think, and what to believe, and how to believe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> we've lost all that. We've replaced it with political parties, allegiance to them, and et cetera. This leads us to all kinds of problem areas that we can, of course, further look at. So that's that would be my um, reaction to your great point about modernity, that we can't escape it right now. All right, excellent. And now in our, our closing five minutes before we do a, a sign-off, we have a little bit of an elbow room here. Um, but we don't need to belabor the point because it is it is done elsewhere. But uh, the church visible, because I, I want to turn um, to those uh, reactionary elements or whatnot in our next look and point out maybe to really finesse that aspect that they're operating under the same principles and a lot of them are drifting into areas that are increasingly not looking Catholic. So um, before we do that, though, um, we do have enough time here uh, to cover what other people make an entire career of doing, which is just bringing up the state of the church in general. But it seems uh, in a nutshell for me, and, and we can close on this point, Dr. Das, it seems that these, the uh, visible church or the structural church or the diocesan uh, structure, whatever we want to call it, um, can't keep up. In this, I, I would be interested to know the situation in Canada. And again, when we speak of, we're speaking in a somewhat localized fashion, things are very different in Africa, very different. They're very on the ball. Of the, you know, the Episcopate's very sharp over there in Asia and, and areas where there's real persecution, the Middle East, um, and, and certainly in, in uh, China land. So uh, Siam, right? Um, the the, the so when we speak of it we speak locally here in north america i'd be interested to know in canada the church in this country during uh, the past decade has basically realigned your mind you mentioned management a number of times and uh, not just as idiosyncrasies of micromanaging but this mindset of of managing perfectly modern <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, in this country, the Episcopacy has indeed cut a deal with the federal government. So uh, we, we want to define our terms. So at this point, I don't care what you or I are, you know, oh, I, I think the Catholic Church means rosaries and breveries and communions. And okay, but the, the church, um, by its leadership at this point in this country of America, is an immigrant relocation corporation. That's what it does. Right. It is not a religious organization. And this gets into something we 
in this very sober year of 2020, 2021, 2022, so forth, this very sober time, we need to put aside our emotionalism and okay, we need, okay, that's great that the Catholic Church means rosaries in your mind, but as far as that organization is concerned, in its own declared intention, it is our immigrant relocation corporation, and that is where it has decided to, to cut a deal with the state. I believe um, given the trends of things, that uh, much like in uh, Britain, uh, with the with the um, agreement between the Anglican um, organization and the Crown, um, much like with the Constitutional Church in France during um, well during 1789, and and you know they got theirs in 1793, <laughs> uh, you know where people try to make this agreement. Just as I'm making a parallel now between Elizabethan England and the um, the situation in France during the Revolution, and indeed what I think will end up happening in this country, um, perhaps in Canada, if a similar deal has been made. Do you know of a similar agreement having been made that they've been re redefined what they are? Yes, it it, it happened. Um... Basically, it happened uh, with what we call Confederation, um, 1867. I, I can't remember the date offhand, but yes, same sort of thing. The corporatization of the church, i.e. the church became a tax-exempt body, et cetera, et cetera. It can hand out you know, tax receipts for people, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All of that system is in place. And this, by the way, is the biggest threat the church, uh, the, the, the state has against the church, right? Uh, if the church doesn't behave, they'll yank the tax status. <laughs> That'll, that's that. Um, uh, so it is the big, big stick that the, the state has. And of course, the church handed this over at no, you know, no problem. Uh, they agreed to all this stuff. Uh, yes, yeah, so exact same situation as you're describing uh, exists in Canada. Okay, yeah, we had uh, for that with the five, what we call the 501c3 of the state registration that happened with uh, LBJ. <laughs> LBJ was the one who, who did that. You can thank him. And then it, um, what I was trying to say is also in the past decade, that um, foul agreement between uh, <laughs> uh, Caesar and, and the Sanhedrin, uh, that has uh, intensified because now the Catholic Church, they don't care. That's the, re I, my, my heart uh, dropped in last year when they closed up all the churches. They said, people are barely coming. How are you going to keep these buildings going how are you they're not you any understanding of, of just watching people most people are creatures of habit if you break that they're not gonna just you know come back and have the young people the girls were always looking at their cuticles and and looking at i mean really I, people checking their cell phones at the consecration um they're not gonna come back that's what i was saying but then I remembered, oh, wait, no, the Catholic Church is an immigrant organization. It doesn't care anymore. Um, so uh, finishing up with my um, historical analogies, I think given the direction of things, uh, regardless of if Mr. Trump comes back on the 4th of, of March, <laughs> um, regardless, is clearly we see the direction of things is not um, towards Christ. And just like the uh, Church of England, just like the uh, constitutional church of the French Republic, I believe that uh, these corporations will be cast aside um, violently or otherwise, uh, maybe just with a pat on the head, uh, at some point in the future. Is that five years? Is that 100 years? I don't know. But I, I've seen this game before. I, you know, I read history books. I know exactly how this ends. So they think they've cut a deal and, oh, damn, we don't have to go ask the, the, the parishioners for uh, Peter's Pence anymore. We don't have to ask them for the bishops thing, right? They think they've, they, they've really got an in real good morale. But just wait, those attorneys in the state capitals, they'll send them out to pasture too. And 
I think a lot of our uh, hair pulling over the Novus Ordo or whatever, that's actually going to solve itself, much like Gallicanism solved itself <laughs> because of what, what ended up happening to the Constitutional Church in France. All the Gallicans who are rah-rah, the Pope can't get in our rights here, he has no jurisdiction over France. Well, all those guys joined the Constitutional Church, and the revolutionaries killed them all, and all you had left were the Altamontanes, <laughs> and, and that's how you ended up getting this very consolidated church in the 19th and 20th centuries. Yes, exactly. And I think the same process, what I would suggest is that I think um, very quickly uh, that the, it's gone beyond the pat on the head by the state of the church. And I think the church is uh, basically, um, you know, uh, has been put out to pasture, as you say. Um, it has, it has been deemed, it has been categorized non-essential. Let's put it that way. Uh, in the COVID world, it is now non-essential. It's a non-essential service. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, and since it's a non-essential service, um, you know it's already been put out to pasture, to be very honest. I think the process is not 10 years hence. I think it's right now. And I think it has already happened. Um, and depending on how long this COVID thing goes, which I think is basically for a very long time, um, and it's not going to be over very fast soon. Um, I think whatever emerges out of that, building-wise, will be a very lean church, um, building-wise. Uh, congregants, faithful, I mean, uh, bums in the pews, I don't know how many will uh, be stick, still, st sticking around. I don't know. Um, because that is going to be telling as to what has survived. Um, and, you know, this process of uh, uh, what is going on, I see this basically as, um, as a threshing of, you know, of Christ's words come to mind always when I look at this, separating the goats from the sheep, you know. Um, um, that, I think, is what's going on here. Uh, because, remember, this is the body of Christ, and if there's any kind of corruption in it, it needs to be cleansed, and it knows how to cleanse itself. So, um, yes, it's disconcerting. Yes, it's um, um, sad. But I think this is a corrective um, where all this is part of God's larger plan, which we don't, I don't know. Um, you know, we don't know. Probably Peter, people smarter than I do will, I am, will know better. But I see this as part of God's plan of something else, i.e. this is not the crisis of Christianity at all. Uh, this is my view. Um, and what I'm actually witnessing is the death of the corruption. Um, and that I think is the what we need to focus on. This is why we, I always say, let's get away from these political terms that we always engage in. You know, they're useless uh, in, in the context of our faith. So I see this as a death of corruption. So what we're really looking at is Christ, um, you know, clearing the, the, the field. You know, he's cutting off the dead wood, throwing it in the fire, and what survives will be the strongest and the strong, the real church. Um, that is what's going to survive. Um, and I think that is the place of hope. Because remember, um, you know, I, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's be real about all of this. Our faith is about resurrection, right? It is 
Easter after a miserable, you know, Good Friday. Um, that's what this is all about. Um, so we are witnessing perhaps the Good Friday um, of the church. <clears throat> and um, when it resurrects, of course, it will be what it is. Um, so that's, you know, that that is my, um, um, uh, I guess, expression of faith of what I believe is that uh, my faith says this is not the end. It can't be uh, because Christ is eternal. Um, the church is eternal. Um, and therefore, what we are witnessing is the death of corruption. That's how I see it. It's the death of modernity, to be honest, um, you know, to, in, in political terms, in cultural terms. Um, this is the death of modernity. This is the death of corruption. This is the death of rupture. And um, this is going to be the great reset. So God has his own re great reset, you know, which we don't know about yet. Um, and I think that is, what is at, at, that is what's at work here. And I think in this process, a lot of this corruption is going to disappear. And I think this is the hopeful sign in all of this. Excellent. So we will, in future episodes, uh, deal with that great uh reality right the death of corruption and where things are going and i should think our conversation will also uh, as dr das alluded to uh, need to include this idea that um, modernity itself or this present order or the enlightenment order um, is, is shifting um, and so I'd, i think we can go in that direction i would like to for our next um, episode uh, before we move on to that that happy easter um analyze, shall we say, the remnant or um, a community with various adjectives, which I have been guiltier of using than well-behaved Dr. Das. Um, but those who feel confident that they have maintained things, shall we say, from that corruption, I would like to point out certain things, not in a factious spirit, um, but uh, as a word of caution, uh, because I can, you can follow out trends of thinking, and um, we'll revisit that uh, in our next episode. Uh, Dr. Das, tell us what we can look at in the postal this month, and uh, what are some uh, good articles and this sort of thing. Sure. Um, yeah, people will find some really interesting things in uh, in this month's postal. Um, we have, you know, a great a couple of great book reviews. We have a very interesting um, um, manifesto uh, about uh, neo-paganism as to what it is and where it's going. And it's a very, um, I, you know, I wanted to publish it because it's a pro it's a topic we often don't talk about, but it's a very um, real, uh, uh, you know, um, political force or a faith force. I don't know how to classify it, but neo-paganism, I find it a really interesting process. Um, so yes, there's a very, very detailed manifesto, a neo-pagan manifesto that I think people should uh, take the time to read because this is where uh, modernity has led us, you know, to, you know, to use our, uh, to continue our, our uh, categories. Uh, this is where it has led us, where people are so bereft of spiritual food, let's put it that way. So bereft of spiritual food and they're starving that they're trying to eat anything they can. You know, this is people, you know, boiling shoe leather and drinking that, you know, because nothing else is around. That's a very sad indictment of our world, by the way, neo-paganism. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting document, please read it. Um, uh, but in the process, by the way, in that document, um, the, the manifesto, 
what the writer does is that he also very, very uh, brilliantly critiques modernity. Very brilliant critique. And I would really encourage people to get into that because it's very, very um, apropos as to what we've been talking about as well. But from that other angle, uh, from the neo-pagan angle, which is really interesting to look at because you can see where people end up when the church fails. Let's put it that way. You know, let's be blunt about it. So I would stress uh, that that article, especially this month. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Doss. We'll certainly keep our eyes uh, peeled for that one. Uh, I owed Dr. Doss about five very juicy articles, which are very much in the hopper still. Um, but I have been concluding a certain work at Apocastostasis, and my final announcement is towards that. If you're interested in a thorough humanities education, either just uh, pick up classes like in Dante or Latin or history or pedagogy, or if you're interested in a more thorough and systematic uh, training in the humanities, please go to apocastostasisinstitute.wordpress.com. And then even if you're not uh, up for that, please consider joining us for the Holy Divine Office uh, throughout the week. Um, we, we celebrate um, various day-to-day, uh, -day, various of the offices, uh, both from the breviary and from the liturgia erarum. So very ecumenical there and trying to, uh, trying to uh, be as inclusive as possible. Hey, we didn't make a church with two rituals. <laughs> I didn't make this problem. Uh, but yes, uh, you know, uh, office of readings, known, prime throughout the week, uh, sex, the Vespers, Compline every night during Lent. So uh, you can find the link to that and, and whether or not you're in the, enrolled in the school or not, this, this is just a public announcement. Anyone is warmly welcome to join us there. We have the text websites provided, so you don't need uh, the books or whatever. And um, the last thing um, on regards to Dr. Dasa myself is if you have any show ideas or correspondence or uh, tips or whatever, or if you would like even to be on the show, maybe you're like really into some nook or cranny about some appropriate topic to Christian history and ideas. Why don't you write us at apocalyptic uh, <laughs> at uh, Christian history and ideas at gmail.com Christian history and ideas at gmail.com. And um, we look forward to that. So Dr. Doss uh, and the viewers and, and uh, myself will we'll part ways for the moment, but we'll be back for our next episode. Great to be here, John. Thank you.